often we fail to underestimate the importance of teaching and of second level teaching and primary level teaching because it's there in many ways that people get a feeling for subjects and it helps them determine whether they're going to like something or not. And I think, you know, you cannot put enough emphasis on the quality of teaching at second level and at primary level when it comes to evoking people's interest in things like mathematics or science or computing for that matter. The Guardian Irish Business Podcast is a tour around the entrepreneurial industry here in Dublin and across the country. We have the great privilege here at Guardian of working with some of the most inspiring and influential small businesses in Ireland and the people that run them who are forming and shaping the future of many different sectors of the Irish economy. I thought it would be interesting to chat to and learn from these people, which we do every day, but memorialise it in a podcast which could then be shared with our friends and clients and you, the listener. For today's guest, we have an individual who has been integral to development of education in the computer industry for the past 40 years, has been involved with several tech startups and has competed in the Olympics for Ireland. Please help me in welcoming Professor Michael Ryan. Michael, welcome this afternoon. Thanks, Colin. Good. So, Michael, starting off, you've been associated with DCU for over 40 years now, since 1980. How has it been there and how has it changed over the 40 years? Well, it's been fun. That's the main thing, as I'd see it in a way. Good. If anybody gets a chance to be involved in a startup, I think people should take it. So back in 1980, what was then called NIHE Dublin was started. Right. I got a chance to be in there. And, you know, in a startup, you ask for forgiveness. You don't ask for permission. Okay. And we were lucky enough. Things went ahead and things developed very well. Right. And for quite a while, and very, very good colleagues. Right. That's kind of an important thing. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, yeah. You're bringing me my memory back, Michael, NIHE. Yeah, That's it. 40 yeah. years ago. Yep. Right. They, they had a volleyball team at the time, which I played against and for my sins, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Uh, you found that, moving on from that, you found that the National Centre for Software Engineering and steered the development of BS, <laughs> BSc and computer applications and set up the Centre for Teaching Computing, which even promotes teaching computer skills at a primary and secondary school level. So you've been vital in the shaping of Ireland's digital skills landscape. What drove you to start these programs? Well, hold on, I've got to be careful. I didn't start the Centre for Software Engineering. Two colleagues and myself did. Okay. Renat, Renat Verbruggen and the late Tony Moynihan. Right. We started it, got some money from the government and so on. That would, I'd say, be about, must have been about 89, sometime like that. Software was emerging as a significant component of kind of industrial activity. Right. And the notion was, and there's all kinds of standards associated with it, etc. So the notion was to help companies be up to speed and so on. And we got funding to set up a centre. We appointed staff for it and so on. Do you mind me asking, yeah. who provided that funding? Because oh, listening to you, I was saying that didn't cost, uh, you know, that yeah. wasn't cheap. No, no, it wasn't. And uh, roughly half a million back in 1980-something. Right. Do you know, I hate to admit it, I can't remember which government department it was, but okay. I'm pretty darn certain. No, I, I do remember it was the Department of Trade and Industry and okay. so on. Okay. We made a case to them, Tony and Renat and myself, right. and they went along with it. We set it up, we got some staff, I remember Robert Cochran as director of it, and it ran successfully for quite a number of years. Then 
came the dot-com collapse in okay. around about 2000. Right. And it stopped washing its face. I believe that's the accounting term. Right. Isn't it? Yes, yeah. So the college decided to kind of basically trim it down very much. Okay. And meanwhile, in Limerick, they started up an operation also related to software, very much focused on research and software and so on. And kind of the balance shifted in that direction more. And that's going still, it's called Lero. Right. And DCU is involved with it, etc. Very good. So it but, exists still in a different guise. Oh yeah, yeah. Very good. Software ha, software hasn't gone away. No, you know. not at all. And I don't and think I, it's going to. I, I don't think so either. Absolutely. Yeah. From starting all these programs, where do you see that Ireland leads in these areas and where do we still need to improve and innovate? Well, with all of these things, believe it or not, the basic thing is people. And the trick is to have people who have somehow become interested in working in this kind of area. Right. Developing software, believe it or not, is fun. Well, hang on. Mm-hmm. Relatively. I'll, I'll next to accounting. It's kind of, yeah, next to yeah. No, no, it's much better than accounting. <laughs> but it's kind of quite interesting and it's quite creative. Right. And you get a chance to put something together based on ideas simply and getting it to work. And there's great satisfaction in that, I think. The trouble is people don't appreciate that and they see it as something kind of, the word technology comes into it somewhere. In my mind, it's a little bit more like composing music. Right. If you think of, for example, a piano, Mm. a piano is a technical device. Right. And making it and so on is a technical job. That's technology. Mm. But if you want to compose the music that's to be played on the piano, and that's what the software is vis-a-vis a computer, that's quite a different kind of mindset. Sure. And quite a different thing. And a lot of components, a lot of different things in it, including in particular being able to get to understand what the people you're doing it for actually need and okay. so on, which can be amazingly difficult Absolutely. because often yeah. they don't know themselves. Right. But never mind. Okay. Very good. You say people are the most important aspect. Do we currently have the best or where do we stand in your opinion? Well, we have, you know, as people, we have much the same people as everywhere else in a sense. I think the question is, how well do we support them in bringing out their potential, bringing out what they're able to do, developing their interests and all that. To me, a major function of the primary and second level systems is to do that. It's to help people take up an interest or appreciate why, for example, let's say history is interesting or philosophy or heaven help us mathematics. The standard of teaching in primary and in second level to me is one of the really key fundamentals of trying to have the best for people and to have the best people as a result, you know. Um, I think, I personally don't think we do enough to help teachers to, for example, improve their own happiness in teaching the subjects that they're teaching. I mean, too often, I think a teacher can be told to teach a subject in which the teacher has no real interest right. or might not be interested at all. There has to be somebody in front of the class. And I really think we should be trying to 
sort of keep an eye on what we can do and be trying to develop methods to improve the standard of teaching in our schools for any subject for all subjects mathematics is a particular kind of what would you say hang up of mine in a way right uh, anytime for example i meet a young lady who has opted to become an engineer i ask her how why did she make that choice the answer nearly always is oh we had a great maths teacher like the standard of teaching is such a key ingredient it's such a key thing right really right. and we never seem to ask what can we do to help improve it? I wish we did, mm. tell the truth. Yeah. Very good. good. Moving on again, you've been on the Consultative Committee on Software, the Irish Council for Science, Technology and Innovation. What was your experience on those committees? And perhaps what was the biggest thing you achieved as a group? And what was the thing that caused most controversy or did people uh, of the committee cause the most resistance to? Well, to tell the truth, I don't remember much in the lines of resistance. The Consultative Committee on Software, really, that came together at a time when it was becoming clear that software was going to be more important, generally speaking, in the economy right. than it had been before. If you go back to 1980, I'd say the number of computing degrees in the country, you could probably count them on one hand. Right. With calmness and ease, actually. Okay. Right. I think the first computing degree was started in Trinity by John Byrne, an evening degree. I can't remember exactly when. There was one in Cork, in Cork RTC, actually, I think. And I think the one in NIHE Dublin was perhaps the next. I may be a bit wrong on that. Right. This is hard to grasp, Michael, in that yeah. we're sitting here now and everybody has a computer degree. Yeah. And the kids at 12 have more knowledge yeah. of computers than I have now, yeah. uh, and yet you're saying 42 years ago, yeah. there was only a handful of... Well, there was only a courses. handful of, of computing degrees or even computing courses of one kind. Well, there might have been a bit more than that of certificate courses in computing and so on. But it took quite a while for people to appreciate the significance of it right. and the fact that it was going to be important to give people to be a chance to be really knowledgeable about it, etc. Right. you know. Could I ask you something, Michael, because you're meeting people, you're mentioning people there. Uh, what do you think is more important, the person uh, themselves or the, or the academic ability, or is there a mix required? I honestly don't know what academic ability means. Okay. The catch, the thing that bothers me a bit at times is you can meet people, you can meet students, mm. And they're not interested, really. Right, right. They're going through a kind of process with the objective of getting a degree sure. and then doing something or whatever. So they have no like, inherent interest yeah, in the actual degree. To, to me, just... a major function of, it's easy for me to say this, but a major function of education is to evoke interest, is to right. get people interested in something. Right. And if you can manage to do that, with a bit of luck, you can stand back. Very you good. Know? Yeah. Well, well, speaking of which, Michael, would you like to mention some of your famous past pupils? Or would you be? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. no it's not. Okay. No, certainly some of the, I mean, some of our past pupils mm. I know have done extremely well. Sure. And um, 
I well, given that this is about accounting column up to a yeah. point, yeah. they've made a lot of money. They've made a lot of money. <laughs> Good. Now, look, I would know a number of them, and they speak oh, very yes. highly of you. Okay. I'm very appreciative of the, of the education and foothold you gave them. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you said that you want computer education to be part of the Leaving Cert curriculum. Has there been any movement pushback on this from the oh, public sector? Oh no, that's that's actually taking place right now, and right. there's there's um, you know pioneer course there's a preliminary course running and so on in a number of colleges, and so forth. Um, yep, and it's terrific, and we'll see how it goes, and I'm sure it'll go along very well. Very I think I think we often we fail underestimate the importance of teaching and of second level teaching and primary level teaching because it's there in many ways that people get a feeling for subjects right. and it helps them determine whether they're going to like something or not mm. and i think you know you cannot put enough emphasis on the quality of teaching at second level and at primary level when it comes to evoking people's interest in things like mathematics or science or computing for that matter and mm. so on. But by all accounts, Ireland has done well in this. They've oh, we have. Yeah. yeah. yeah but we still, we're way short of, I remember being at a meeting, oh, must be a while ago, yeah. like maybe 15 years. And the question was, we were issuing, I think it was 4,000 work permits a year nice. for people to work in IT. Okay. And the question that was being posed was, why can't you lazy characters in third level be turning out more people? Right. So that we don't have, we don't have these shortages. Right. right. And the quick answer was that we don't have enough people applying. Okay. okay. You know, now, how to get people interested? And computing is interesting, it really is. Right. And there's an awful lot more to it, by the way, than, you know, if you go into a restaurant, you're quite likely to see if there's a couple of kids in the family. Half the time they're playing on some kind of game machine or sure. something. Yeah. That ain't computing. Right. No, that's entertainment. Yeah. Computing is really about seeing how to structure things. A bit more like, as I was saying, composing music. Right. Right. Good. Uh in 2004, you received the Irish Computer Society's Distinguished Fellow Award. This prestigious title was awarded in recognition of your enormous and continuing contribution to the software industry in Ireland. What did winning this award mean to you? Well, I was delighted, to tell the truth. And also John Byrne got it, who, you know, and a chap, sorry to say his name skipped my mind for a moment, who had set up, you'd be interested in this, right. he'd set up the computer system for revenue, you know, Ross. Right, right. Yeah. And as an occasional user of same, sure. I yeah. think Ross is a very good system. It's an absolutely fantastic system. Yeah. And indeed, Michael, I think Accenture at the time were involved in that, or Anderson Consulting, yeah. and the rollout, and I understand that they may have rolled it out to other countries around the really? world. Really? Yes, okay. absolutely. Because yeah. it's been, it was such a good, robust system. Yeah. And indeed, they continue to develop it. And we wouldn't have gotten through COVID with all the supports if the revenue hadn't brought in POI modernization back in 1st of Jan 19. Right. Couldn't have done it because yeah. we now have real-time live reporting of wages on right. a weekly basis. Couldn't have happened without uh, the rollout, and that's revenue have really done a very good job in that. Yeah, adopting technology. You know? yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought it was a credit to the yeah, yeah, it's very, yeah. very good. Uh, one of the bi biggest 
tech success stories to come out of Ireland in the last few years has been Stripe, which yep. is now a global powerhouse worth $95 billion. Yep. How does it feel to see this kind of success come out of Ireland, which undoubtedly with your contributions to the education sector had some influence in? Are there any other Irish tech companies that you're excited about at the moment? Well, there's quite a few, Colin, but yeah, it'd be kind of invidious to say anything. Of course, you know, Stripe, um, the really unfortunate thing was there that they didn't go to DCU. You know? Yes, yeah, I was thinking that myself. <laughs> okay, I was gonna, you never so, had the pleasure of teaching. Exactly. Okay. And uh, like the concept of me having any kind of involvement in it, or I, I think that's very, that's stretching things rather a lot. In fact, you know, didn't have any involvement, right. but uh, but the opportunities are there. Right. But again, there's two sides to all this. You can you can have very good technical system. You can have really good stuff. Mm. You still have to be able to bring it to market. Correct. You have to be able to raise the funding yes. to allow you to bring it to market. Yeah, yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's somehow or another managing to get that group of things to gel together. Correct. You know. Yes. Unfortunately. I think you and I have seen in our past where a product was built, Absolutely. but there was no demand for it. Yeah. And that's very important to make yeah. sure you build something that somebody wants. That people will pay you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know the old saying, build a better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door. Well, whoever said that never tried to sell a mousetrap. <laughs> that's for sure. Absolutely. It takes a lot of bother Absolutely. to manage to get things to the market. Right. Very good. Michael, another string to your bow. Some people might not know it, but you've competed in fencing twice in the Olympic Games. Uh, what was that experience like, and did it impact your academic life in any way? Well, that's a good question. No, I got into fen like fencing. I hate calling it fencing, really. I'd sooner call it sword fighting. Okay. Because everybody in the world has tried sword fighting. Right. I bet you've tried it at Absolutely. some stage. Child, yeah. So why call it fencing? Okay. And really, it's the oldest sport in Ireland. Mm. I keep thinking it'd be nice if the GA would take it up, you know, <laughs> instead of insisting on sports that you, where you have to use a ball or something. Right. I got into it by accident. My health had been very bad. I was in the garden fighting with my brother, right. sword fighting okay. with some sticks. Mm -hmm. And my mother had been reading a small ad in the paper right. and there was an advertisement wanted to do fencing. Why don't you phone this number? Right. And they were keen to try to get me away from reading books. And so, okay. Anyway. So I did what I was told. I phoned the number, et cetera, et cetera. And it turned out I had a kind of knack for it. And believe it or not, the training for fencing, um, it's much tougher than you might imagine okay. in the sense that it's not about going down and just waving some things at other people. You really have to get fit. If you're not fit, I can speak on this from authority. Right. If you're not fit, your reflexes go. Okay. And it's quite distressing if you're trying to fight somebody and you have no reflexes. Right. I can assure you. But you have to be very fit. And there's a lot of technique involved in being able to handle the weapon efficiently and being able to move yourself efficiently and all that kind of thing. Right. So a typical training session, and I used to do this for a few years, right. at least four nights a week, three hours a night, wow. half an hour circuit training, run a mile. 20 minutes footwork practice, maybe get a lesson, probably get a lesson that would take 25 minutes to half an hour. Right. At the end of that, you'd be more dead than alive. Right. right. Then you might do one or two fights, but just to practice something you were trying to get right. Okay. And 
that it's it requires quite a bit of discipline. You're you're tiring me out listening to that. I, no, it, it requires quite a bit of discipline. Yeah. But if you do it, um, you can end up in a situation. That the other thing you need to be able to sort of do is spot what the other person is thinking and what they're going to do next. Okay. But if you have the technique and you can tell what the other person's going to do, you're in a position to give them a nasty surprise. There you go. It's a really terrible sport, really. Right. But, but it's served you well in your academic career as well and in computing. Well, See, yes, actually, it's, you know, it's not a bad introduction to something that you need in relation to a few things, which is being able to see what what people are up to or something like that. Right. But um and Michael, dare I ask, you're still fencing to this day? Oh, yep. Very good. Next Sunday, Sunday right. morning, bit right. of luck, and so on. No, no, it's... Will it's you a, make another Olympics? No, no, I don't think so. Oh. I know I'm, I'm useless now, but but um, but I really would recommend it as a sport. Right. I've certainly benefited from it hugely. You right. know, as I say, my health was very, very bad until I started it. Thank God, ever since then, it's been extremely good. Very good. And of course, the experience, you know, there are fencing competitions all over the world. Right. There are fencing clubs all over the world. As I shouldn't say this really, but as the old, you know, new blood is always welcome. Sure. And so yeah. on. Yeah. So. Dare I ask, what two Olympics did you uh, compete in? Well, uh, 64 was in Tokyo. Right. And... Uh, John and myself went out there, John Bogdarez and myself went out there, and I was supposed to be there for Epi. There were three weapons. Anyway, we both got into the second round, right. but the wrong way around. I was in Mexico then in 68, but that was about the worst competition in my life. I don't even like to think about it. Right. Got knocked out in the first round, oh, no. and so on. Right. There must have been life experiences, Michael, uh, to be in uh, Japan and Mexico. Back then, it really was. I mean, Japan was quite amazing. And uh, where we were staying, where all the teams were staying, was in what I think was called Washington Heights. It had been an American army officer's camp after the setup after the Second World War. And this was 64. Right. right. So, you know, 19 years only. Yeah, yeah. Not too long ago. And it was it was really interesting, yeah, actually. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Back in the late 90s, you said to the Irish Times that Ireland is in danger of being wiped off the map as a major exporter of computer software unless the government develops a strategic plan to deal with the growing skill shortage in the area. Do you feel we managed to keep up or what is the situation like now? Well, it's much better, I think, than it... Well, it could still be a lot better. And one of the things, of course, is... You know, people are very happy to come to work in Ireland for software companies of one kind or another. There's no question in my mind that we could be increasing people's interest. But the trouble is, I had a student I remember coming in a few years ago. He was a second year student. He said he was he was going to leave the course. And I said to him, well, why? And he said... I think I've been a coward, he said to me. I saw how how so? Mm. He really intended to be a writer. Okay. But he had decided that while he was making his name as a writer, he would do a degree in computing, then be able to get one of those good jobs, you know, and support to himself. Yeah. yeah. But he said he was being a coward and he decided he'd just go for the writing. So we had a discussion, we agreed writers usually were at least thirty or forty or whatever. Okay. 
and he decided to stay taking the course. The last time I met him, he, he was he got the degree in computing. Right. He was working as a technical journalist. Okay, but he had taken the course purely from an economic perspective. You sure. know that you could almost be guaranteed a job. Yes, and so forth. Mm. I'd much sooner see people taking it because they can appreciate there's a bit of interest in it, yeah. and so on and so forth. Mm. And sure, economic things are very important, no question. But to know what you're getting into, one yeah. of the things we used to find, for example, in first year in a computing degree, you'd have quite a few students who'd find the computer programming was something that really wasn't for them. Right. They found big difficulties with it. Now, it's quite simple, really, you know. When you're intelligent. Else, no, no, it's not about intelligence, honestly. But it's it's kind of a, a way of looking at things a little bit. And um, it was kind of a worry in a way that people would come into a computing degree and then discover something that's really a kind of fairly central component mm to some degree of such degrees was really not for them. Right. right. How could they, how could the system let them make a mistake like, you know, how sure. could they end up making a sure. mistake? Like? So a better appreciation of it mm. and of the fun potentially involved and right. so on and so forth. Could I ask Michael, just touching on that, do you feel there's any merit in after the Leaving Cert and prior to picking your degree course of, of a gen general uh, course, just maybe to give the kids a year break, two year break, so they're a bit more mature, tested out a few things and might have clearer direction or what's your view on that? Honestly, I think that, you know, by the time people have reached say 18, if they haven't managed to get into a position where they have some idea of the stuff they like, the mm. stuff they don't like, then we're not doing things right. Right. And trying to correct that afterwards, okay, fine, great. But really, to me, the question is, how come that that would be needed? Right. You know. And also, I'd be very keen that, you know, education is about education. It's not necessarily about preparing people to... It's about broadening people's horizons a bit right. and evoking their interests and allowing them to establish the kind of thing that they're interested in and so on. It's not really about training people to do a job. Okay. That's a different thing. Right. Really. Right. right. Very good. Uh, in an industry like tech, which develops at such a fast pace, how does it feel to teach? Do you constantly have to develop or are the fundamental concepts stay the same and is more the technical skills that needs updates? Well, I used to always say that if I wanted to do something, for example, with a web page, I'd ask a student, preferably, right? right. The, the funny thing with computing is the basic ideas haven't changed for more or less forever. And even the basic ideas about how the technology works haven't changed more or less, well, not for 56, well, quite a long time now. Right. Anyway. Okay. 80 years, give or take. Now, there's all kinds of developments, improvements, all this kind of thing. And computing, it's very hierarchical. At a certain level, at the level of the machine, you're just hitting the notes on the keyboard and the hammers are coming up and they're hitting the strings, you know, by analogy with the, with the piano. 
At that level, it's very important to understand what's going on. But then you can put together these actions the machine can do at your equipment. You can put them together. Mm. And now you have a new set of actions, which really are groupings of these other actions. Right. And then you can put those together and you get new sets of actions that are groupings of the groupings of actions. And for heaven's sake, at that stage, I begin to get, you know, and whatever is the newest thing that comes along, yeah. it's a safe bet that uh, somebody else will know it much better than me, but never mind. You make it seem and sound so simple, Michael, but I'm sure it's not. Well, know? no, in, in a way it is. That's yeah. the funny thing. Right. But the hardest parts usually are being clear about what the objectives are, because... For example, a few years ago, back in about, I'd say, 2000, 2005, there was an attempt to do a payroll system for the health service. That's right. And you probably know how that worked out. I do indeed. But they spent a lot of money, and in the end, they abandoned the project, or yes. they abandoned the original idea. But the basic reason was, you know, wasn't anything technical. No, not at all. Yeah, the yeah. payroll organized the, the way payrolls are organized in the health service yeah. well i don't mean to be rude to anyone but sure. i think there's an old saying if you try to computerize a mess mm. you get a mess correct yeah so the first thing you have to be very clear about is you know just what are the objectives correct what is it going to take to achieve them how do things need to be structured all that kind of thing mm. and then you can start structuring your computer program or your sure. computer system or whatever the dickens it is mm. Michael, it's strange to sit here in this room with you and you and I both agree on that. Okay. I personally feel we could have solved that in about a week flat and yeah. uh, had a payroll system up and running. It yeah. wasn't really a good... Uh, no, it, but, it, you know, there were so many variations on the way the payrolls were done sure. in different places, Correct. different this, different that, yeah. different the other. And people didn't know about them. No. People centrally didn't know about them. So centrally, it seems very straightforward, as you said. I mean, everybody does payrolls, for heaven's sake. Yeah. So you do a payroll system. Oh, very simple. But then when you come to find, when you go trying to do it, oh, oh, there's these extra features here. Oh, there are other ones over here. By the time you unravel all that, yeah. a lot of money has gone by. Right. Bit of research. Bit of discussion. Oh yeah, you have to input. do that. You have to do that first. Sure, sure. And not start with without knowing all that. Correct. We'll move on from that for fear we'll be sued. Uh, back in the day, I'm sure you're working on Apple II computers, which now feel like relics of a time past. But I'm sure at the time were revolutionary. How did it feel when computers like this came out, and what have been the game-changing moments in either hardware or software that got you so excited over the years? Well, Colin, my first job, I I was working as a statistician. I was provided with a calculator. Right. It cost significantly more, brand new, cost more than a month's salary. Right. If I wanted to add two numbers, I had to turn a handle. Yeah. If I wanted to multiply them, I had to do quite a bit of stuff. And we won't talk about getting square roots. Right. And there was a computer in use in the place. Its air conditioning costs were about five times my annual salary. Right. And I think it had about 8K, 8,000 bytes of storage. Right. No hard disk, no whatever. Yeah. The chain, round about that was in the 60s, round about the 70s, 
it became possible to put the circuits that are needed for a basic computer on a single piece of silicon. And you got the microprocessor. I still remember seeing an advertisement for a machine for £600. Now, that was back in the 70s. I couldn't believe it. Because up to then, to have a computer of any kind, Mm. you needed more or less to be a multinational company. You know. And things went ahead and went ahead. And the chaps, the the Apple guys, uh, Wozinski and Jobs, they brought out the Apple II. But the really significant thing there, Colin, I think, mm-hmm. wasn't so much the computer as, guess what? This a piece of software. Piece of software. And yeah. the piece of software mm-hmm. was a spreadsheet program. Right. And apparently people called accountants, they do a lot of kind of working with figures. They do indeed. Where you have to follow the figures through from one year to another to another. Mm-hmm. And then you have to try a different figure and follow it through again. Right. So the two guys who came up with that spreadsheet, trying to think of the name, come back to me in a second. But the name of the spreadsheet? Yeah. As in Excel? No, no, that was no. long, that was before it. That was, oh. was two guys, Bricklin was one Work. of them. No, no, it was, yeah. uh, I'll come back, sure. we'll think of it in a minute. Yeah. But yeah. Not Supercalc. No, no, it no, was, no. Uh, what started to happen, there was a company at that time, it's mm-hmm. still there, thankfully, which more or less owned computing right. to a large extent. I mean, well, one would have to qualify that, but it was called IBM. Correct. Yeah. And big companies, generally speaking, had a big IBM machine and so yeah. on and so forth. The IBM people were discovering when they went into these companies that quite often, beside the terminal for the big machine, there was one of these Apple II things. Right. And the person was using it more likely than not to run a spreadsheet. Right. And uh, they began to get the idea that, look, we'd better start making one of these ourselves. And they took a different route. Instead of trying to design it from scratch and so on, they decided to build, buy in the different things. Right. So they decided to base it on a microprocessor from a company called Intel. And then they were looking for, you need an operating system and stuff. So they went looking for that from a company called Intergalactic Digital Research. But that didn't work out. So they went back to a company from whom they were trying to buy a an interpreter for the basic language, asking them, this company was called Microsoft, Microsoft. asking them had they any suggestions as to another place for an operating system. And MS-DOS emerged. But the emergence of the IBM PC back in about 1981, I'd say, that kind of legitimized or it made respectable, you know, in the business. You know, among business people and account- sure. accountants. Well, I remember, Michael, my first job as a trainee cost and management accountant in Irish right. Biscuits. Uh, we weren't allowed to use the computers that were there. Yep. Uh, I subsequently left the company to get to use computers in other yep. companies. Yeah. But that was that's only 1980 as well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, IBM then, you know, the PC. And then you had very rapid advances in... And because the whole architecture of the IBC, IBM PC was very open, everybody knew how it worked, everybody mm. knew what was in it. And the main parts were supplied not by IBM, but by people like Intel, etc. Other people could make clones. Nice. nice. And I remember we were buying PCs in DCU, must have been back in 84 or so. 
and a PC with two floppy drives was £2,400 right. in the money of the 1980s. Okay. I dare say you could perhaps manage to pay that today for some for a machine, but it would really be some machine. It would, yeah. You can yeah. get a far more powerful thing for certainly well under a thousand euros. Sure, now. sure. It's incredible. Yeah, it is really absolutely. Uh, in referring to Trinity, you've said they turn out computer scientists; we turn out computer professionals. Is it good to have some healthy competition within the universities? Uh, can only lead to more progressive graduates. But what do you feel was DCU's USP that develops these computer professionals? This, I guess, okay. Colm, I didn't know you were going to raise such points. Absolutely, okay, yeah. when when we were starting in DCU or in NIH, adopted in 1980, as I was saying, a very important thing to be clear about generally is your objectives, mm. you know. And if you take a subject like computing or whatever, one way of looking at it is you just dig ever deeper into the theoretical foundations of it and you don't worry too much about um, what it would mean to have a career based around that knowledge. Yeah. If you're thinking of having a career based around computing, well, it's kind of sad and I hate to admit it, but you'd better have some kind of nodding, uh, nodding acquaintance with accounting. Right. So in the first year of the computing degree in DCU, we would have, for example, there were, I think, seven subjects, but never mind. But one of those would be accounting. Right. The students used to come in to me and say, we came here to do computing. Why sure. on earth are we doing accounting? Yeah. Well, you know the reason why. To count it's, your money when you're a millionaire. No, no, it's, it's not. <laughs> the, the reason is that an awful lot of computing work is done in a business context. Yes. A lot of computing systems are done in a business context. And in business, they speak this weird and exotic language about, you know, ledgers and debits Profit and credits credits and balance sheets. Journals. Oh, journals as well. Oh, gosh. And uh, accruals. Yeah. yeah. Now, I had no idea, and I still haven't, any real idea of those things. Right. But the students would come in, they'd give out to me, fine. Then they'd be placed in industry for six months in third year. Mm. This actually happened. They come back in and say, thank God we did accounting. Very good. Because they might well be placed in a data processing section in a big company. Right. And the data processing would involve, you know, stuff. Yeah. Also, you need to have a basic understanding or you should have a basic understanding of, you know, the the electrics, the physics, and all that kind of thing. But you don't need anything like the amount of stuff you need if you're going to design an electronic device. That's right. the job yeah. of electronic engineers. So one component of the professional thing, as distinct from, you might say, the science thing, mm. is to provide some of the contextual stuff that people will need. You need to have a really in-depth grasp of the theory behind the thing. And also, a lot of stuff to do with things like computer programming or putting a system together or whatever. It's like many another thing. It's all very well talking about it, but you have to do it. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. our students, you know, in third year, they'd have to do a major project. It was really to give them a chance to get it wrong. Yeah. And then in final year, they would have to do a major project. And they would actually, at the end of final year, they get a chance to show off their major projects at a champagne breakfast we used to organize. Right. And I remember on some occasions, students having five job offers that morning. We'd invite in industry and so okay. on. 
Very good. And uh, Michael, am I, am I right in saying NIHE was ahead of the posse at that time in placing graduates into industry? I graduates? think so. Yeah. I, I recollect I that so, yeah. some were placed in Irish biscuits. Yeah. And yeah. indeed, you're reminding me as a trainee accountant, we used to have to fill up punch cards and yeah. bring them to the computing department. Oh, yeah. And they would enter them onto the IBM mainframe. Yes. And there was twice a day you could be honored with permission to enter to yeah. give your ledger cards in yeah. to be punched yeah. Uh, yeah no i think i think really what we set out to do in the computing degree in dcu well to my way of thinking and you know i i'm retired now and so forth so you must discount anything i say but way back then our, the objective was to prepare people for a professional career based around computing right and that involves more than just computing. A quite important thing in it is, for example, statistics and mathematics. Mm. Well, the statistics, I guess, in particular. And these days you hear a lot about data analysis and all that kind of thing. But there's also a whole lot of quite fundamental sort of theoretical stuff about the theory of computation. What is it that it's possible to do by doing, in effect, calculations? There's quite a bunch of things you can't do that way. There are limitations and so on and so forth. And it's really, you know, the tools you use, things like compilers, etc. If you're use, if you're working as a computing professional, you'll be using compilers all the time. Understanding how compilers work is not completely trivial. Okay. 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 Honestly. Right. So we'd have that as mandatory stuff in the computing degree in DCU. Okay. Um, and we'd have a minimal amount of, yeah, you know, very little, there'd be some hardware stuff, some basic electronics, but that's just so that people would have an idea of what was going on, not so that people could design stuff. The emphasis would be on being able to design software and understanding where it's coming from. You mentioned hardware, Michael, and I know software is your first love, but are hardware the enemy or are they necessary? Oh, no. I mean, it's like pianos and music. Kind of the people who design and make the pianos are not the enemies of the people who compose the music for the pianos. Okay. So, but they're two different kind of things. Strings, right. uh, the people who design the piano had better have an understanding of the kind of thing the musician will want to be able to do with it. Right. But they don't need to be able to compose the music in the same way. Sure. And certainly the people who need to be able to compose the music, right. they don't need to know about, you know, Young's modulus or whatever the difference it is. Right. or the various things about uh, you know how strong the frame that holds all these high, highly tensed wires together, they don't need to know all that technical right. stuff. Once it works. Yeah, you want to have a basic understanding of what's going sure. on. Sure. But you don't have to be able to design stuff very good. to do it. Michael, you've had a long and varied and very successful career. Could I ask you, uh, has there been anybody who stood out to you as a mentor or who, or who gave you that light bulb moment that said and drove you on for your passion? Uh, or is there somebody who has, has helped you along the way in particular? I've got to admit, not really in one way. Like I was very for I've been very lucky. You, you practice know. a lot. So therefore oh, no, I've been, well, that, but you know, I've been very lucky. The most important thing one's choice of parents, you know, right. and the five of us were very lucky indeed. Right. But, but, um, and then I guess it's somehow or another getting an interest in things. 
And also, if you're trying to do something, try to do a good job at it. Right. Like, there's no good going in and, you know, not doing the circuit training, yeah. not running the mile, right. not doing the footwork practice. Right. It's really, it's not very pleasant, heaven right. knows. I was very, at university, a guy who sticks in my mind, but he wasn't a mentor. He was an unusual person. He was the professor of maths, Professor Gornley. Okay. I always remember he'd given us a problem to do, and I actually misunderstood the problem. I couldn't see that it didn't make sense. I asked him about it after a lecture, and he started doing it on the blackboard. And as soon as he started, I realized I'd misunderstood the question. And I was saying, okay, Professor, that's okay, that's okay. Meanwhile, the door opened, the lecturer looked in, mm. went away, came back, looked in again. The room filled up with young ladies. Right. I'm still up there at the board, Professor Gormley working this out, right. saying, that's okay, Professor, that's okay, we should go <laughs> now. <laughs> but he was really, he was, uh, he was really very, and there was Sheila, 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 Sheila Tinney. Right. And I was extremely fortunate in fencing, like we had a very good coach in the country at the time, okay. Paddy Duffy. Right. But I don't know, Colm, right. really don't. A rule, one rule of thumb, though, is if something comes along that it seems interesting, uh, don't hesitate too much about trying it. Very good. You know, good. don't be I've seen to... I've seen people talk themselves out of doing what they wanted to do. Sure, sure, and for very good reasons. You know, but and again, we have many young clients here now, and I give them as much encouragement as I can to try. Yeah. And if you fail. Fail, yeah. but move on. Yeah. Don't damage anybody on the way. And yeah. Try again. Yeah. I've always got the impression that a difference between, for example, Ireland and the United States is that in the United States, if things go wrong for you, it's regarded as a learning experience. Sure. And you're expected to have had mm. such learning experiences. Yes. Yeah. Whereas here, if something goes wrong, there's a danger it could be regarded as, as a kind of grey mark anyway, sure. if yeah. not a black one, yeah. you know. But there's a way you can do it as well, and yep. attitude and how you treat yep. people along the way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Professor Michael Ryan, this has been very interesting. Thank you very, very much for this. Thank, thank, you. thank you, Colin. Thanks. If you want to learn a little more about Garden, you can go to gardenaccountants.ie where you'll learn about everything that we can do. If you're enjoying the Garden Irish Business Podcast, please do share it with your friends and colleagues. And don't forget to subscribe, like and review wherever you are listening. Thanks for listening. Until next time.